The Mysterious Code Chapter 10 A Caller in the Night Jim's hurt, Trixie cried to Brian. They had been walking along the path single file with Trixie between the two boys. What happened? Brian asked as he pushed Trixie aside to bend over Jim. He stumbled over something and fell, Trixie said. Watch out. He was too late. Brian went down head first over Jim's body. Brian, Trixie called frantically. Jim! On the ground, they were both making odd choking noises. The swift, swirling snow obscured everything around them, even the trees close by. Terror-stricken, Trixie circled the fallen boys. Jim, she called. Oh, he's been killed. I'm not dead, Jim said, gurgling. But if you can't get this elephant to roll himself off me, I may be. Then why are you making such odd noises as though you can't breathe? Brian, too, Trixie added, her voice tense and anxious. Can't you tell laughing when you hear it? Brian asked, getting up and brushing the snow from himself, only to have it replaced by more. I like the way you called out to Jim, Trixie. Fine sister you are. You weren't even concerned when I fell. I was too, Trixie said, exasperated. But you picked an odd time to be funny and play tricks. She was furious at both of them. We may not even be alive in an hour. For now, unless we can get under cover someplace. Just think, it's dark. And moms must be terribly worried because we aren't home. I can't stand much more about this storm. You may be right about it, not being any time to play a joke, Jim said, but it isn't any time to cry either. What do you suppose made us both stumble? I can't see an inch ahead of me. He picked up his flashlight where he had fallen. Reddy, who had jumped from Brian's arms when he stumbled, rubbed his wet body against Brian's legs, whimpering, and held up his sore paw. I know it hurts, fella, Brian said. I can't do anything about it right now, though. Trixie, we're really up against it. There must be a shelter of some kind around here. There it is, Jim cried excitedly. He sent the beam of his flashlight, hunting around on the ground near him. It was a log walk that I fell over, unless I miss my guess. It leads to some kind of refuge. That's it. See, right ahead. The boys forced the door of a log house that opened on the edge of a small clearing. The fury of the storm drove girl, boy, and dog inside, then slammed the door with a mighty force. Just in time, Trixie panted, exhausted. The beam of Jim's flashlight danced around the room. There was no furniture. Yes, along the wall there were three old benches piled high with heavy feed sacks. Mr. Maypenny must use this for a place to store provisions for the animals and birds, Jim said. Sure thing, it's an old schoolhouse. Mr. Maypenny probably used to go to school here himself. Jeepers, it's cold. Brian's flashlight had been seeking out corners, too. There's a stove, he cried. Looks like a wood burner. No wood for it, though, Jim said. None that I can see. Do you see any, Trixie? Not yet, Trixie said, her own flashlight beam, seeking an, anything they could use. There's a lantern, she picked it up, and a folder of matches right by it, she said as she struck a match and lit the lantern. She swung its yellow light around into corners, hunting stored wood. 
There were only two or three logs near the stove. There must be a woodpile nearby, Jim said. I'll go out to see if I can find it. He opened the door, but the wind roared through the opening, threw him back into the room. You can't go out there, Trixie said. You'd never find your way back in. You'd freeze to death. Where do you think you'd rather freeze, Brian asked, inside or outside? There isn't much difference. I'll go. Nobody will go out in that storm, Trixie said determinedly. We'll burn the benches. Just three of them, Jim asked. How long would that last? And what would we use to chop them up with? No, we'll have to find the woodpile. Trixie pulled off her mittens, blew on her fingers to warm them. Thinking all the while, suddenly an idea came to her. I heard of old Brome telling Bobby a story the other day about a storm, she said. Let me think. What did he say that day? Oh, yes. He told about getting wood from outside. Let me see. One man would stand just outside the house, and the other would tie the end of a rope around his waist. If the first man got lost, before he could find the woodpile, he would tug on the rope to let the other one know, and he'd pull him back to safety. Well, we can try it, Jim said. Only where will we find a rope? There was no sign of a rope around the old schoolroom. There was nothing but some twine used to tie the feed sacks. That idea is out, Jim said. Think of something else, Trixie. It'll have to be quick, too, because it must be almost zero in this storm right now. Jim blew his breath out. It came back to him in a cloud of steamy vapor. The school bell, Trixie exclaimed. It must have a rope right over there in the corner. Jim, back up to the corner and see. Jim opened the narrow door. There hung the frayed rope, and it was attached to the bell. Inside the small closet, there was a narrow ladder. Jim climbed it, unfastened the rope, and dropped it to the floor. It's almost worn through in several places, Brian said, running it through his hands. We'll have to try it, though, Jim. Let's go. Each boy wanted to be the one to go into the storm. They could only decide by drawing lots, so Trixie held two pieces of straw. Jim drew the shorter of the two. I'll fasten its end to the rope around my waist, Brian said, and stand right there outside the door. I'll put the other one around my waist, Jim said. Outside, it seemed as though an angry giant had wrapped his great arms around the little schoolhouse, trying to crush its sides and had frosted its panes with its icy breath. Jim caught up in the rush of wind, waved his arms gallantly, and shouted, Geronimo! as he dashed into the storm. He disappeared in the swirling snow. While the talk had been going on, Reddy had rushed nervously back and forth across the room in front of the door. When Brian and Jim went out, he tried to dart ahead of them, but Trixie caught and held him. You stay with me, she commanded. Down, Reddy. Before he left, Jim had fastened his wristwatch around Trixie's wrist. Seconds ticked away, minutes. From time to time, Trixie opened the door a crack to speak to Brian. He and Jim had arranged a signal. If Jim found the woodpile, he would jerk once on the rope. If he wanted to come back, he would jerk twice. 
Did you feel any motion on the rope yet? Trixie asked Brian. Nothing, he answered, huddled against the house. Of course, it slackens and tightens as he goes through the blizzard. It's like the North Pole out here, Trixie. Go back indoors. Trixie turned. Wait, Brian shouted. There's a jerk. Eureka! He's found the wood. It won't be long now till we have a fire. Go in and twist some of those empty paper bags that hold the bird seed, Trixie. Make a bed of them in the stove, and we can kindle the wood chunks Jim will bring. Trixie hurried to his bidding, then waited. Seconds ticked by, minutes. Jim did not come back. Where is he? Trixie called through the door to Brian. I don't know. The rope seems slack. I just don't know, Trixie. Brian said and began slowly to pull the rope back. Soon, he held up a dangling, frayed end. It broke! Brian said, despairing, choking his voice. Jim's out there someplace and he can't find his way back. Frantically, they both shouted with all their strength, Jim! Jim! The angry wind, triumphant, threw their voices back to them in a gowlish echo. I'll go after him, Brian said, throwing the rope from him. You'll do nothing of the sort, Trixie said. You'd just get lost, too. There must be some way, Brian. Some way. Couldn't we make a loud noise? Or horn, maybe. That's silly. There isn't any. One of those old pans Mr. Maypenny left here for feeding. I could beat on that. No, I know what to do. I'll... Trixie was across the room in a flash and up the narrow ladder in the, cl in the closet that led to the bell. Once at the top, she swung the bell on its cradle, back and forth, back and forth. The bell rang, and she yelled, too, Jim, Jim, hello. Was it the wail of the wind? Hello. No, it was Jim. Covered with snow, even on his eyelids, Jim stumbled through the door and dropped an armload of wood on the floor. It's not very far, he said, panting. A big pile of it. But the rope broke. How did you happen to think of ringing the bell? He asked, a smile breaking over his frosted, reddened face. We didn't at first, Trixie confessed. I don't know why we didn't. We thought of beating pans and things. Then suddenly I remembered the bell. Jim had recovered his breath. Start a fire going with the wood I brought, Brian, he said. In a few minutes I'll go out after some more. No, you start the fire. I'll go out this time, Brian said. Jim shook his head. I know where the wood pile is, Brian. You don't. At least, I know the direction to start. It's pretty close to the schoolhouse. If the noise of the storm hadn't been so loud, keep ringing the bell if I don't come back soon. In spite of Brian's protest, Jim tied the rope around his waist and started back. Trixie had doubled the rope so that if one strand broke, the other might hold. This time, too, it was she who took up the post outside the door. Brian built the fire. Back and forth, Jim went successfully until a heap of wood stood inside the door. When the small wood stove burned bright and the red in-glass in the window on its door sent a rosy light into the darkened corners, the small schoolhouse seemed cozy and warm. 
Nine o'clock, Trixie said, and loosened Jim's wristwatch to give it back to him. Brian, I wish we had some way to let Mom know we're safe. She's alone at the house and with Bobby and Mart. I hope Mart doesn't get the idea of starting out to look for us. Moms wouldn't let him, though. I wish Daddy were home. That's what bothers me most of all, Brian said. The wind seems to have slackened. Don't you think we'd better make a run for it? No, Jim's voice was stern and decisive. No one in this place is going to leave tonight. You don't need to be so commanding, Brian said. You know how moms will worry. Of course I do, Jim said, and I know that my mother is worrying too, and honey's. But there isn't a thing we can do, or we can do until daylight. My dad's in the city too. I know this, though. And you should know it too. Your mother and my mother have confidences in us, and we'll be pretty sure we can take care of ourselves. And Trixie. She won't know it, though, Trixie said, tears coming unbidden to her eyes. And Mom's is so good to us. She'll be afraid we don't have anything to eat. We don't, Brian said, glad to change the subject before Trixie broke down. Let's look into the bird seed situation. If it's for the birds, it could be for us, too. Sure, Jim said. I'll go get some snow to melt on top of the stove. And Trixie, you stir up a delicious pottage with some of the last things in the cereal bird seed. Or pretend it's Mom's casserole. Trixie, never sad for long, entered into the game. I'm stirring up chicken and noodles, she said, setting a scrubbed pan on the stove and stirring the birdseed into the water. Help, Brian cried. I can really smell chicken, but the letdown will be too much when I taste it. Here's your share ready, Trixie said, and fixed a bowl for the big red setter cooling it for him with his with the fresh snow he acts so odd brian don't you think he keeps running back and forth in front of the door probably smells a rabbit jim said he likes the bird seed anyway brian said i don't think the storm is quite so severe i'll take a look he opened the door and in a flash reddy was through it bounding away through the huge drifts no command could bring him back they called and called, but heard no answering bark. It must have been a rabbit. I was just joking, Jim said. Even a bird dog couldn't smell a rabbit in this snow. He's gone, though. He'll come back around the place later. See if he doesn't. I wonder, Trixie said. Do you think he could have gone to get some help for us? Gosh, I don't know, Brian said. He's a pretty smart dog. Mom's will be even more worried if Reddy shows up without us. Why couldn't Mr. Maypenny have a telephone in this place? So he could talk to the animals, Jim inquired. Be yourself, Trixie. Let's play 20 questions. We're stuck here till morning anyway, and we might as well make the best of it. Think of a subject, Trixie. Trixie, a little ashamed, brushed her hand over her eyes. I've something in mind, she said. Animal, vegetable, or mineral, Brian asked. For a while, the game went on. Outside, the wind slackened, waned around the schoolhouse, and finally died to a whisper. There was no sound of barking, no sign of Reddy. 
Trixie, her eyes drooped with the warmth of the fire, blurred the words in trying to play the game. I'll pull one of the benches over to the fire, Jim said, aware of Trixie's exhaustion. It'll be better than sitting on that dirty, hard, cold floor. He and Brian pushed the heavy feed sacks off a bench and drew it to the fire. You can rest here till daylight, Brian said. I won't even try to rest unless you and Brian do, Trixie said, her eyes nearly closing. So Jim and Brian unloaded the other two benches and drew them close to the other side of the stove. The boys stretched their tired links and soon their heavy breathing told Trixie they were sound asleep. It wasn't so easy for her. Pictures of home of Bobby, her mother, and her worrying about their welfare. The concern of the Wheeler's family. Honey just adored her new brother Jim. Reddy and his strange escape into the snow. A lingering horror of Jim's narrow escape when the rope had broken. All these thoughts crowded sleep from Trixie's weary mind and tired body. The quiet was so profound that Trixie could hear the ticking of Jim's wristwatch. Gradually, she became aware of another sound outside, muffled, crackling twigs movement. Ready? Of course. Trixie slipped from her bench and went to the window. The warmth of the stove had melted the frost enough so she could see through. The clouds had disappeared. A wane moon sent a white path of light through the snow. Trixie peered through the window, could see no sign of Reddy. She did see something else, just leaving the clearing a dark shape, waddling off into the woods. An animal? A man? That was ridiculous. No man could be in the woods on the night like this. What could it be then? Frightened, Trixie turned back into the room to arouse the boys. They were sleeping peacefully. They'd just make fun of me, she thought. They'd say I was imagining things. Maybe they're right. Mart says my bump of imagination is overdeveloped. Maybe, maybe he's right, Trixie yawned, stretched and fell exhausted onto the bench. She drew the collar of her coat across her eyes and slept. A rosy light from the rising sun filled the room and wakened the boys. Look at the morning, Jim cried. The sun is out. There isn't a cloud in the sky. We can get home now. I'll stoke the fire to warm us before we leave. Do you want more porridge? Trixie asked, rubbing her sleepy eyes. Not on your life, Brian answered. Not with Mom's pancakes waiting at home. I thought I heard Reddy in the night, Trixie said. I heard something anyway. Then I saw something. A raccoon, perhaps, Brian said. Maybe a wolf or more like a big lump of your own overly stimulated imagination. It wasn't that, Trixie said as she wrapped her wool scarf around her. Let's hurry and get started for home. She stepped briskly out into the snow. There in the path, almost close enough to trip over it, lay a bundle wrapped in a tattered quilt. What do you suppose it is? Trixie asked. And where in the world did it come from? Jim poked it gingerly, gingerly with his toe. A raccoon could have left it. Brian, he said, as impossible as it seems, Trixie, you really must have heard someone outside the schoolhouse toward morning. He pulled back the quilt, and there, good as new, lay the carved oak lap desk. 
Even as they lifted it up to be sure it was real, Reddy barked furiously and bounded up. Close behind him came Reagan, then Tom, struggling through the drifts. Are you all right? Reagan called. Is Trixie all right? Jim, Brian, all well? We're fine, Trixie called out happily. I was worried because Jim hadn't come back with Jupiter, Reagan said. I know he wasn't riding around in this heavy snow. Just about that time your mother called Trixie and said that Reddy came back and was barking and acting strangely. Trixie put an arm around Reddy's neck and rubbed her face against his warm coat. Mom's must have been frantic, she said. She was pretty worried, Reagan admitted. She didn't know which way to turn. She thought we should call the police and organize a standing search party, but I persuaded her to let just Tom and me hunt for you. I was sure Reddy was trying to lead us to you. How about my mother? Jim asked anxiously. I didn't tell her you had Jupiter, Reagan said, until after Mrs. Belden called. Then she wanted to call your father in New York. Gee, I hope she didn't do that, Jim said. There wasn't anything he could have done. I finally convinced her of that and asked her to let Tom and me have a try, Reagan said. Tom took Celia down to Crabapple Farm to stay with your mother. Trixie was picked up ready, and we had a hard time keeping Mart from coming, too. I guess we should have let him, but you realize we had to do some wandering around before we found you. Poor moms, Trixie said. She had a worse night than we've had, and Mrs. Wheeler and Honey, too. We'd better get started right back so she'll know we're safe. Better than that, Reagan said. I arranged a signal to let them know at Crabapple Farms and at the manor house just as soon as we found you and know that you were all right. Stand back, everyone. They're all crowded back against the log schoolhouse and Reagan took his shotgun from around his arm, aimed it high in the air and fired three times. Then he repeated it. They'll all be glad to hear that, Reagan said. You kids had better eat something before we start back. Mrs. Belden sent along some hot soup in this thermos and some sandwiches. We can't be very far from the valley, Jim said, if they could hear that gun. You're not, Reagan said. We must have wandered around in a circle. We did the same thing hunting for you. You're just at the edge of the pie-shaped clearing Mr. Maypenny owns. Right across there, not more than three hundred yards away, is Mr. Maypenny's house, waiting and ready to give you shelter if he ever found you. Jim pulled off his cap and threw it down in disgust. A fine woodsman I am, he said. After all that time I lived in the forest, too, when I ran away from my stepfather. Good, Reddy, he said, to the red setter who had been running around, jumping up, on all of their knees and licking their hands. Good, Reddy. We started out to try to find you, and you ended up saving us. Do they give the Carnegie Medal to dogs? Brian asked, his voice husky. Here's one that rates one if they do. Chapter 11. The Mask Comes Off A few days after the storm, Trixie was helping her mother clear away the breakfast dishes. Bobby in his robe still sat at the table. The big kitchen was fragrant with aromas of coffee, buttered toast, and steaming oatmeal. The night of the blizzard, faced with only 
primitive necessities for comfort, Trixie had thought of the cozy Belden kitchen. Then her mind had turned to little children in far-off countries, little children who didn't even have the grain and water she and Jim and Brian had had to eat. I hope with all the heart that our charity will be a good success. We'll have to work harder than ever now. I certainly do wish everyone could have breakfast like this. Doesn't everybody? Bobby asked, his mouth full of buttered toast and jam. No, lamb, Trixie said. Why? It's a little hard for you to understand, Bobby, she said. Some day you will. When I think, she said, about all the people who don't have enough to eat and how hungry we are in just the short time we were without food. I don't even want to think about it, her mother said. I do, Bobby said. I wish I had been there. I'd have caught that burglar who bringed back the desk. I'll bet it was the same one who stole it from us, Trixie. I'll bet it was that big boy. What big boy? Trixie asked. That boy who shoveled snow. You know, Trixie, at Mrs. Vanderpool's house. Brome saw him. He runned away. Brome ran away? Trixie asked, puzzled. Why would Brome want to run away? Brome didn't run away, stupid, Bobby said. Bobby, Mrs. Belden warned. It was that big boy who ran away, Trixie. Bobby said, the one who asked me how much the desk costed. What? Trixie asked. What did you tell him, Bobby? I told him a hundred dollars. That isn't true. It isn't worth that much. That doesn't matter, though. What did the big boy look like? He looked like a big boy, Bobby said, and he boasted. I told him Mrs. Vanderpool at lots and lots of other things she was going to give the Bob Whites trillions of dollars worth. Trixie left the dishes she had started to wash and went over to Bobby's chair. What did that big boy say then? she asked seriously. He didn't say anything, her little brother answered. He just ran away. I told you. What do you think of that, moms? Trixie asked. I don't think a thing about it, her mother answered. And please, don't think about it yourself. I can see that detective gleam in your eye. After all the worry I had over the blizzard, I'd appreciate a little calm and quiet. It was nothing but idle curiosity on the boy's part. Forget it. That was an impossible prescription for Trixie. Trying as hard as she could, she couldn't recall the face of the boy shoveling Mrs. Vanderpool's walk the day the desk was stolen. It was a good thing, she thought, that she had never told Mrs. Vanderpool what happened to her and Bobby on the way home that day. Now the desk was back, as good as ever, and what difference did it make where it had been in the meantime? Spider had considered it a joke. Maybe, he thought, Tad had taken it. No, Tad didn't know the words as well as Brian and Jim did. He would never have been able to get through that blizzard. It's a mystery to me, Trixie said to herself, a real mystery. Just then the telephone rang. Mrs. Belden answered it. Now and then she would say, Goodness, is that so? Or, what did you do then? It was Mrs. Vanderpool, Mrs. Belden said, when she finally dropped the receiver into the cradle. Oh, I know, Trixie said. She told me to come over and look at George III's silver things she had taken from her grandfather's chest. She said if I wanted to polish it, I could show it in our antique show. I guess I'd better go over there now. 
That wasn't what she wanted, Trixie, her mother said soberly. Last night, someone tried to break into Mrs. Vanderpool's home. Oh, dear, I hope they didn't scare her too much. It didn't frighten her a bit, Mrs. Belden said. I think it was the other way around. She was with real Dutch courage that day. She said she just took down her father's rifle and stood in the full light of that half-glass door and shouted, If you come one step nearer, I'll blow the top off your head. Oh, Moms, did he scram out of there? Bobby asked, all eyes and ears. Oh, I forgot you were there, his mother answered. Of course he scrammed. As you say, wouldn't you? She ruffled the hair on Bobby's head. It's all because of our antique show, I know it, Trixie said, worried. She's never been bothered before, and she had all those beautiful things in her house for years. Do you mind if I go over there for a while, Moms? No, I don't think you'd better go just now, her mother said. Oh, Moms, we just have to have that silver ready for the show. Are you bothered about what happened there last night? Of course I am, her mother answered. But then Mrs. Vanderpool said she had called Spider to tell him about it. Then you needn't worry if Spider's on the job. May I go, Moms? I suppose so, her mother said. Can I go too, Bobby said. I think not. Not till you're entirely well, Bobby. That's what the doctor said, you know. Stay inside till you are quite well. Mrs. Belden brought the checkerboard out and put it on the table. We'll play a game, Bobby, she said. I'm well now. I don't want to play checkers. I want to go visiting. I want to go with Trixie. Nobody comes and plays with me. I'm tired of staying home, Bobby wailed. I don't blame him, Mrs. Belden said to Trixie. Don't stay too long. Maybe you can do something to amuse him when you come back. Where are Brian and Mart? Trixie asked. Mart is able to amuse Bobby sometimes when no one else can. They went to the clubhouse to work on the furniture Mrs. Vanderpool gave the BWGs, Mrs. Belden said. That's where I should be, Trixie said, but I'll be helping the show if I go and look at the silver. Why don't you polish it while you're there, Mrs. Belden asked. That's an idea, Moms. I'll call Honey and Di and ask them to go with me. The girls were glad to be asked to do something, aside from making dolls and aprons. They had a happy assortment of both now, and on the shelf at the clubhouse ready for the show. Most of them were made from remnants donated by the stores in Sleepyside. It wasn't long after the girls came down the hill that the three of them were walking along Glen Road to the by road that led to Mrs. Vanderpool's yellow brick home filled with antiques. It's a, mis it's a mystery about the desk, Diana said. Who could possibly have left it outside the door at night in the middle of a blizzard? Are you sure it wasn't there when you went into the schoolhouse? Honey asked. It must have been dark, wasn't it? Yes, but I'm positive it wasn't there, Trixie declared. As positive as I am that I'm alive. Why, I stumbled over the desk, practically, when I went out the door in the morning. I couldn't have missed it the night before. It, I could believe you missed it easier than I can, can believe that somebody knew you were in that old schoolhouse and went through the blizzard to return the desk, Honey said. It just doesn't make sense. What happened last night doesn't make sense either, Trixie said, and she 
told them about the attempted robbery at Mrs. Vanderpool's house. That proves it, Honey said. That thieves are on the trail of the antiques we are trying to get together for our show. They're the same ones that were after the desk. But Jeepers, who brought it back? You figured it out, Diana said. We haven't said a word to anyone about the things in Mrs. Vanderpool's house. Jim said he shouldn't talk about them, and I know that n not one of the BWGs has said a word. How did the news get out? Bobby had to sound off to a boy who was shoveling snow the day we tried to take the desk home, Trixie said. Gleeps! That's why you were hijacked, Diana said. Exactly, Trixie agreed. Thank heavens Mrs. Vanderpool told Spider about last night. Yes, Honey said. It isn't safe for her to be there alone. She surely knows how to handle a gun, Trixie said, laughing. Can't you just see her telling those burglars that she'd shoot them? I still don't think a woman of her age should be in the house alone, Honey said. It's all our fault, too, because she wants to help us with our show. At Mrs. Vanderpool's house, the girls collected the beautiful silver coffee service, the George III tankards, and the antique silver flatware, handmade by 18th century silversmiths. The three girls spread newspapers on the kitchen table and carried the silver there to be polished. Mrs. Vanderpool did not seem greatly disturbed by the happenings of the night before. She said that she and her ancestors had lived in this house for more than a hundred years, and nothing had ever happened to any of them. Nothing's going to happen now, she assured them vehemently. The way that scallywag ran off last night showed he was mighty scared. I'd have shot him, and he knew it. While the girls were busy around the kitchen table, Spider came to the door. Tad was with him. Timidly, the boy acknowledged the girl's warm greeting. They had promised Spider that they would be more cordial to Tad, and had been trying to keep their word. Tad didn't quite know what to do or make sense of what they were saying. "'I understand you had a visitor last night,' Spider said. "'Indeed I did,' Mrs. Vanderpool said, with spirit. "'He didn't stay long, though. I talked to him down the muzzle of a rifle. He understood what I was saying.' That's all very well, Spider said, but some of his gang may try to come back again. I don't think you should stay here on this by-road all by yourself. How about letting me stay here with you, Tad asked eagerly. There's no need of that, Tad, Mrs. Vanderpool said. I'd like right well to have your company, but I can take care of myself no matter who comes. And don't you get into your head, Spider Webster, that I can't. Spider chuckled. "'Good for you,' he said. Tad looked longingly around the kitchen at the old wood-cooked stove, the bright cookie jar, and sighed. Then he pulled up a chair and helped the girls polish the silver. He carried the finished pieces to the sink, washed them in warm suds, and dried them. In the meantime, Spider scouted around the outside of the house for footprints, inspected the door frame, and decided that Mrs. Vanderpool had not let the burglar get near enough to leave any evidence. I'll go along now, he said, but we'll keep an eye on things. I'd feel a lot better if you'd let Tad stay here. I like the boy, Mrs. Vanderpool said, and he's welcome any time he comes here, but I'm not going to be model-coddled by anyone. Come again some other time, Tad. 
Just any time you want, but go along with Spider now. I think I'd better go too, Honey said. I have a lot of studying to do, and we're almost through polishing the silver. I'll go with you, Diana said. I promised my mother I'd look after my little sisters. Trixie stayed to finish the polishing. She was so interested in her work and the stories Mrs. Vanderpool told her about the different pieces and how they came into her family that she did not notice the growling, the growing dusk outside. Jeeper, she said when Mrs. Vanderpool turned on the light. I'd better go. I told Moms I'd help her with Bobby if Mart couldn't. But there I am now and it's almost dinner time. You'll not go off in this dusk alone, Mrs. Vanderpool said. Why don't you stay the night with me? I have so many things I'd like to show you. I don't think Moms would want me to stay all night, Trixie said. It's still sort of, she's still sort of nervous about the blizzard and our escape. She's pretty tired, too, from taking care of Bobby. I'll call her and see if Martin Bryan can come for me. I'm sorry you stayed so long, Mrs. Belden told Trixie over the telephone. I've been expecting you any minute. Martin Bryan are at a wine meeting in Sleepyside. They won't be home till quite late. Your father is at a meeting at the bank. He'll come home when the boys do. I don't know when they will be in. Mrs. Vanderpool said she'd like to have me stay here all night, Trixie said. I don't like that idea. Trixie's mother said. However, when she talked to Mrs. Vanderpool and discovered that Spider was keeping an eye on the farmhouse, she decided that she would let Trixie stay for the night. After a delicious old-fashioned supper of homemade sausage and fried apples, Trixie had a wonderful time curled up in the corner of the living room couch, looking at an album of the Vanderpool ancestry. Mrs. Vanderpool's long-sleeved Chalie's nightgown had quilted robe made Trixie look exactly like one of the pictures of the Dutch women. Later, after she had climbed up to the high four-poster bed in the guest room and rubbed her sleepy eyes, she imagined she could see an array of white-capped, pink-cheeked Dutch women around her bed. Visions of them followed Trixie, even into her dreams, when suddenly she was awakened by a strange, muffled noise. She was whisked from the 17th century into the present. There the noise was again. Something scraping. Trixie propped her elbow on her pillow and listened. The noise came from the direction of the lean-to kitchen. Hastily but quietly, Trixie slipped her feet into the loafers, pulled the big robe around her, and without having to turn on the light, slipped through the dining room into the dark kitchen. There was that noise again, a window lifted, perhaps. Slowly, stealthily, Trixie opened the door to the lean-to kitchen, just a crack. The man inside saw her and ran across the room, knocking pans here and there, making a frightful noise in his eagerness to get back through the window. "'Get your gun!' Trixie called to Mrs. Vanderpool. "'A burglar! He'll get away!' Mrs. Vanderpool came running, shouting at the top of her voice, Hands up! I'll shoot! Stand back, Trixie! Get behind me! Hands up, you thief! The man, confused, struck his head on the side of the window, trying to get through, and dazed for a second, hesitated, then plunged right into the arms of Tad Webster. I've got him, Tad called. Get a rope, Trixie. Help me tie him up. Mrs. Vanderpool 
hurried with a clothesline, and Trixie ran out the door with it to to where the man was, held fast in Tad's arms, struggling to get away. She looped the rope around his arms while Tad held them pressed against the man's back. Then they bound the burglar's legs fast. There you are, Tad said. Now we'll see who you are. He pulled the mask from the man's face. It wasn't a man at all, but a boy, not much older than Tad. It's the lad who shoveled my walk, Mrs. Vanderpool said. Maybe he just came to collect his for his work. At this time of night, Tad asked, and masked? No, ma'am, I know him. It's Bull Thompson. The boy growled at Tad. I'll get you for this. That voice, Trixie said. Why, he's the one of the gang who stole the desk. I'm sure I remember his voice. Where did you know him, Tad? He was a member of the Hawks, Tad said. But not for long. He sure didn't fit into our club. He only joined it to get hold of our funds. He ran off with eleven dollars, too. I haven't seen him for months. I thought he'd moved out of Sleepyside with his uncle. Snipe Thompson disappeared, and I thought Bull went with him. Snipe had a bookie joint over on Hawthorne Street. Did time for it. Say, Trixie, call the sergeant at the police station. Tell him to spin Spider and send him out here in the patrol car. It'll be reform school for this kid. Bull only sneered at him in answer. Spider came with Sergeant Mollison, the man who had helped to rescue Trixie and Mart from the trailer when they had been kidnapped. It's you again, Poison, the sergeant said to Trixie. Every time I see you, it means trouble. Don't you say one word against that girl, Mrs. Vanderpool warned him, or Tad either. I suppose Spider told you to keep a watch, whether I wanted it or not, she said to Tad. And you, Sergeant, those kids did a better job on the crook than you policemen could ever have done. Yeah, Sergeant Mollison agreed. Maybe we ought to put them on the squad. Come on now, Bull, into the patrol car with you. We'll have some questions to ask you. Been roughhousing the school and stealing from desks and lockers, haven't you? Prove it, Bull sneered. We will, don't worry, Spider said. We'll get the rest of your gang, too. Do you want to tell us who they are? Is your Uncle Snipe in on it? Spill it, Bull. Nah, Bull said. No smart Alec cop is ever going to get me to spill the beans. I don't rat on pals.